You're listening to Fit Girl, Your Guide to Getting in Shape. This is podcast episode number 239. In this episode, do artificial sweeteners make you fat? Find out what the research really shows. Metcon training, what it is and how you can use it to drop fat. And think yourself slim. I'm Kira Langolf, your host and guide to getting in shape. As a professional fitness trainer, it's my job to get clients in shape quickly and keep them healthy. In this podcast, I'll reveal to you the shape-up secrets I use along with training, nutrition, and motivational tips and advice. I'll set you straight on what works and what is a waste of time, and I'll be your guide to your best body ever. Check out my websites at fitnessmakeover.com and coachkira.com. Well, we're coming into May pretty soon, and hopefully for me, things will slow down a little bit, and I'll have more time to apply to this and all of the other things that are going on. Um, but of course, I didn't forget about you guys. I'm still coming up with different topics and things. I might just do some more frequent uh, podcasts that are shorter, just with some current topics, because um, sometimes getting into the research of everything gets me a little bogged down and cuts into the time that I have to put it all together. So... We'll see how that goes. But anyways, um, we certainly have a lot of things to go through in this show. So one of the things that I thought of talking about was artificial sweeteners. And that's because you hear different people say different things. And often it's like, oh, those are going to make you fat. Or, oh, those don't do any good. Or, oh, they're harmful for you. And I think as we all know by now, everything in a little bit of moderation is the way to go. And if you can do the most natural form of anything, that's going to be the best way to go. But sometimes you want to have something and maybe you don't want to have the added calories that come from having the full version, whether it's higher in fat or higher in sugar. So you might make the choice of an artificial sweetener. And one of the things I also heard that made me think of talking about this subject was on the radio they were talking about um, diet sodas and how much they each drank or whatever. And they, one of the DJs just automatically threw out, well, the sweeteners make you fat. And I started thinking, do they really? Um, it seems kind of strange that something like that would, would do that. And, of course, they say, oh, well, they make you eat more and blah, blah. So I thought I'd research into that and let you know what I found out. Well, I didn't know that was going to jump in there, but at least it adds to the suspense of finding out about artificial sweeteners and whether they're going to make you fat or not. Um, the first thing I want to remind you is I always like to back my things up with evidence or at least studies or at least some sort of research to let you know that, you know, sometimes it's my opinion, but other times this is factual and it may not necessarily be the outcome that I wanted to find, but it still is going to be what is actually in real science research. And so this particular topic kind of goes both ways on that because some of the research might indicate a way we didn't want to think about sweeteners, but then other of it, other research really just calls back common sense. So... I'm going to try to explain some of the studies as quickly and easily as possible, but um, I want to let you also know that whatever you hear in the media, whether it's TV or magazines, a lot of times they make statements based on very little information or information that's kind of skewed one way or the other, depending on where their sources are. So it's always important, no matter what you do or what you reference, that you try to get as much accurate information as you can and consider the source. 
and the context, because a lot of times things are taken out of context that makes it sound like a whole different issue. Now, let's get on to the diet soda and weight gain issue. Now, I'm sure some of you, or all of you, everybody probably has had a diet soda at one point in their lives, and maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Um, you know, obviously it's a personal preference. And most of the news stories and the blog postings that you'll read are actually referencing just a handful of the studies that were done, and there's a couple of them in particular. And I'm going to go into a little more detail on that. The first one was research in rats conducted by um, Purdue University, and then the other one was two, two different studies that followed an observational type study. So it's not quite, some people might not think it's as accurate, but it still gives you some information. So in reality, these studies found some answers, and the basic is that science isn't 100% correct. It's very far from conclusive. So they really couldn't say yes or no. Nevertheless, they did. Now, what they were looking for in these studies was any evidence that artificial sweeteners would actually stimulate the appetite or contribute to obesity. Now, of course, since they didn't find anything conclusive, they say that more research needs to be done, and that's kind of common sense there. But they also found, in the same respect, that research showed sweetened carbonated drinks did lead to an increase in obesity, which I think that's kind of common sense. If you're going to be drinking a lot of sugar-sweetened carbonated drinks, you're more likely to gain weight than somebody who does not drink any of those. Now, we have so many different conversations out there in the world and social media and magazines and everything um, that basically focuses on all of this artificial sweetener causing weight gain and obesity. So let's take a second and go through and see what the research actually did find. Now, there's two of the main research uh, groups that we're going to talk about. The first one was the, uh, the rat study. They were looking to see if artificial sweeteners alter the body's ability to regulate calorie intake. So that's basically the title you'd find on the ab abstract for this. So is it going to affect the way your calories... So in the first study, you had two groups of rats, and the first one was called the caloric group, and the, this group was fed um, liquids that were always sweetened with sugar. So they were trying to make a direct correlation between your sweet taste and calories. The second group was called the non-caloric group, and their drinks or liquids were sweetened with the uh, artificial sweeteners. And basically, that was to show a relationship between sweet taste and calories being inconsistent. So basically, you've got the sweet taste of the ones that get the real sugar being consistent with the calories, and then you have the sweet taste with the artificial sweetener that shows calories inconsistent with the taste. Now, this part didn't quite make as much sense to me, but Maybe it will to you. Um, they studied this for 10 days. Now, let's face it, 10 days is not very long for anything, and especially in rats or humans or whatever. That just doesn't seem like a very significant amount of time to really come to a good conclusion. But they found that they uh, gave both sets of rats a sweet, high-calorie chocolate pudding, and that both groups ate more of the pudding. So I don't know. It seems like it's an equal reaction. So I'm sure if they did longer study, they'd find that obviously the one that had the sugar sweetened had more calories and would probably gain more weight. 
But anyways, they moved on to study number two, and in this one, the rats were actually fed high-calorie chocolate pudding, which I have no idea what that is, but anyways, or chocolate milk. And those were actually added to their regular meals. And at the end of a month, so now we're, this study is 30 days, so it might have a little more accuracy than the 10 days, but, you know, who's to say? Uh, the chocolate milk group had gained more weight. Okay, what does this all mean? Well, according to the researchers, it actually meant that the first study indicated that possibly the artificial sweeteners might interfere with the body's natural ability to judge calorie content since the connection between the sweet taste and the calories was broken, even though they, they both overate the chocolate pudding. So I don't know how they get that. From the second study, they're saying it appears the body is less likely to recognize energy delivered in a liquid form. So they would have more weight gain from the liquid form because they're not using as much as energy. So a study, one more time, <laughs> was done with the rats, and this time they used yogurt added to their regular meal. And then they had, of course, the no-calorie sweetened yogurt and the sugar-sweetened yogurt. And the no-calorie sweetened yogurt rats took in more calories overall and gained more weight. So does that make the argument that sweeteners do cause weight gain? Well, we really don't know because, as you can see, from those three comparisons or three studies, 10 days, 30 days, and they didn't even say on the last one, that's really not that much information. And you really can't jump. Now, the second part of the research, the observational studies, and th these were uh, performed with large groups of people. And the first one is from the San Antonio Heart Study, and it followed more than 5,000 adults for about seven to eight years. And this is the one that's often studied, uh, or I should say cited, <laughs> that showed people who drank more diet sodas gained more weight over time. Now, although people who drank both the sugar-sweetened and the diet sodas gained weight, diet soda drinkers were more likely to become obese. Hmm. And the more diet sodas the participants drank, the greater their weight gain. Now, does that make it seem like that's the cause? And it doesn't make any sense at all? Not really. So just keep listening, and I'll fill you all in at the end. Then there was another study that was done and also cited very frequently. And this one is called the Framingham Analysis. And this actually included 9,000 middle-aged men and women followed for four years. So still, you know, pretty decent amount of time to really assess what's going on. Now, the researchers found that compared to people who didn't drink sodas at all, those who drank both sugar-sweetened and diet soda were more, which is a cluster of symptoms that are often linked to obesity. Now, the first thing that caught my attention in that particular study was that they were comparing people who didn't drink sodas at all to people that drank sodas that were either uh, filled with sugar or that were diet versions. So my first thought was, you know, it's possible that these people who didn't drink sodas might have had a little healthier eating habits than the ones that were eating the so or drinking the sodas and diet sodas. So again, they said it's impossible to say if the diet sodas played a direct role in the weight gain, but it's interesting to think about that. I mean, you, we kind of gloss over that whole that 
researchers found compared to people who didn't drink sodas at all part. And that's a big difference between people who don't drink any sodas and people who do. So it's not really a comparable study. Now, what they point out in this, though, is that it might be what they call a Big Mac and Diet Coke syndrome. And, and what they say is that people will tend to switch to diet soda when they begin gaining weight, but they don't address any other aspects of their diet, the aspects that are actually causing them to gain weight. So they're drinking diet soda thinking that they're going to control the weight, but they're not going to because nothing else has changed. Now, that actually makes sense. So it's really interesting how you never hear that part of the study or that part of the information that the research, researchers are coming to and telling everyone. You know, the, that's why I talk about skewed information. You, know, you get bits and pieces that sound really sensational, but you really don't get the fine print and the, the real take from what you should be getting out of these studies. And it's interesting that the researchers actually commented on this you know, Big Mac and Diet Coke mentality. And basically, they're saying that many people with very poor diets disproportionately drink diet sodas. So they'll be eating a lot of high fat, high sugar foods, but then they'll turn around and drink diet sodas. So it's not really going to, one's not going to negate the other. So basically, they all kind of agreed that there might be other factors contributing to obesity. Now, this is the kind of stuff that just drives me nuts because it's common sense. If you are going to eat better, you're going to feel better and maybe lose weight if that's your goal. But if you're eating all junk and all you do is change from soda to diet soda, well, you might drop weight a little bit because of the initial dropping calories. But if all the other stuff is still going on, your bad habits, you're not really going to change. So basically, drinking diet sodas alone don't counter overeating. And that's basically what all this research came out to, to tell everyone. And of course, that's also not what we hear in the media, but that's also common sense to most of us. You know, the only way to maintain a healthy weight is balancing out your calories and taking on exercise and, you know, the whole shebang, which we kind of know anyway. So it's the bottom line, as always, is do what you're supposed to do. You know, don't try to cheat anything. Now, there was one more thing that was pretty funny. Um, they also showed that diet soda drinkers who diet to lose weight lost weight. So there goes your theory that, you know, diet sodas make you gain weight because if people are doing a solid eating plan, which is what these people were doing, and they're drinking some, some diet sodas, they lost weight. So there are no absolutes. You know, things will affect people differently. Now... There is certainly a big body of science that shows some low-calorie sweeteners can help reduce calories and can help aid in your maintaining your weight or losing weight. But, you know, it's all how you use it. You don't want that to be dependent um, for your main source of liquid. You know, water obviously should be. And it's interesting that the American Diabetes Association and American Dietetic Association actually support the use of no-calorie sweeteners to restrict calories and sugar intake. So obviously they don't think that they are leading to obesity. Now, overall, researchers pretty much agreed that sugar substitutes and you know other non-nutritive food substitutes can have little impact on your weight one way or the other. You know, there's no way of them knowing for sure what is of benefit or what can do harm. 
some of the researchers did say that there might be some relation between no-calorie sweeteners and promoting a preference for sweeter-tasting foods, but they said it's not clear whether that causes weight gain or not. So they say that calorie-free sweeteners can actually help people control their weight if they're used instead of high-calorie sweeteners, so low-calorie versus high-calorie. You know, number one, common sense. Number two, a whole other topic. So the bottom line here with all this research, and we hear about the artificial sweeteners causing weight gain, is that if you eat right and drink a diet soda, you'll be okay. If you don't eat right and drink diet soda, you're probably not going to be okay. So basically, you know, have a diet soda if you like it. If you don't, don't have it. But don't expect miracles, but also don't expect it to sabotage your whole body. So it's neither going to make you gain weight or lose So there goes that myth right out the window. Artificial sweeteners do not cause weight gain by themselves. So enjoy what you want. Have you ever felt like you needed an attitude adjustment? I know in uh, college that's what we used to call happy hour. Um, but Anyways, there's other ways that are a little more productive to weight loss and weight management than happy hour, and part of it is well-being happy. And as you know, success or failure has to do with your attitude. You can see your glass half full or half empty. And a lot of the things that we've gone through in various episodes about your motivation, how to you know define what truly motivates you, how to make it an attainable goal that is specific and realistic how to make up your own plan, um, how to visualize the new you doing these new good habits or looking a certain way, um, getting your priorities straight, dealing with certain emotional obstacles that get in your way when you're really close to success, acknowledging and recording every victory that you have, no matter how big or small, to give yourself some encouragement and to forgive yourself. So realize that you're going to make some mistakes and that it's okay. You just keep moving on, keep pushing forward. And these eight things that I've just gone over are the keys to making an attitude adjustment, making that attitude the one that continues to get success. Now, we're not always going to be on that upward slope of success. We're going to be up and down and up and down. But as long as you push through and persevere, you're eventually going to get somewhere. And it's going to be somewhere closer to where you want to be rather than farther away because you should be learning from all of your experiences. And that's one of the reasons why I do the podcast so that I can share my failures so that you don't make those same mistakes. And this is probably one of the biggest ones. And it is your mindset. And your mindset means how you think about yourself, the things you say to yourself. Um, do you encourage yourself? Do you put yourself down? Um, are you fishing for compliments? You know, those things are all going to be detrimental to creating a new healthy self-image. And when you think about how many people have poor self-image, poor self-esteem, poor self-confidence, there's a lot. I mean, there's more than the other way around. You know, sometimes you might look at somebody, you admire their confidence, or you admire how, you know, they continue to, to go in the face of adversity. And you can do the same thing. It's all in your mind. And it's interesting looking at these eight 
different steps. It's kind of an eight-step plan, but it's also any one of them will help you tremendously. You know, we've done several different podcasts on them, and I was looking through the past ones on the blog and saying, oh, yeah, this was a good one, and that was a good one, and there's a lot of information there. So if you're new to this particular podcast, go back, listen to some of the old episodes. I mean, they may sound a little bit different or whatever, but the content is there. And some of the ones that we haven't gone through recently, I mean, I know the um, defining your motivation was something we did recently, and we're always talking about the goal setting, Um, but the design your own plan. You know, you don't have to have the perfect diet or the perfect workout, because I'm going to tell you, this is one of those things that I learned, there is no such thing. No one workout is better than the other. If you do it and you do it right, you do it consistently, your body's going to change. Different things click for different people. Now, you know, I'm not a huge fan of CrossFit for your average person, but for your, say, former college athlete or for somebody who's very competitive and athletic, it's a great motivator and it would be a perfect workout for them. But it's not for everyone and everything isn't for everything, everyone. That's why there's so many choices when it comes to exercise and they all work. So you just need to sit down and figure out what do you like? Design your own plan. You know, figure out what days are going to work for you, what times, if you prefer to work out with online training as far as um, following a video or having a trainer send you a program, or if you want to throw in a DVD, or maybe you just want to go outside and walk and do some squats. Anything you do consistently is going to get results. So going through all of these, um, the other one that stands out to me that most people have problems with are overcoming emotional obstacles. And well, first you have to uncover those emotional obstacles. These are those things that often cause you to overeat um, or might cause you to skip a workout or cause you to just kind of go into a deep depression. And some of them can be directly related to what you eat because if your blood sugar levels go up and down, your mind is going to go up and down, your emotions are going to go up and down, and you may not realize that it's the lack of food that's doing it to you, but oftentimes it is because you need that sugar for your brain. So when you have some of these emotional instances, the best thing to do is just write something down, get it out, and then look at it more objectively. And a lot of times that can make you see what's going on. Because when it's all in your head, just like when people say, oh yeah, I do the same workout all the time, it's in my head. It's like, no, you don't know if you're changing. You need to write these things down. You also don't know your emotions until you write them down and take a step back and take a look at them more objectively. So of all these different things, which I will list on the blog, the two that probably need the most focus would be uncovering your emotional obstacles and dealing with them and designing your own plan, figuring out what type of lifestyle fitness is going to work for you. And it's different for everybody. So yes, each one of these things, we could go into a lot more detail. um, But I think I'm going to save that for another episode. So I'll run these through these real quickly. If you're just listening and you don't, if you don't like to go to the blog and read, and by the way, still do the surveys over there, because I still want to know, you know, how, how much detail you want on the blog. So the eight-step plan would be to define your motivation, choose an attainable goal, follow a sensible, healthy plan, or design your own plan, visualize the new you, uncover your emotional obstacles, that way you can deal with them, acknowledge every victory, and record 
your victories and your progress. And the last one would be forgive yourself. You know, every once in a while, you're going to fall off the wagon or you're going to miss a workout or, you know, something's going to happen, but it's okay. You know, it's just one step backwards and that's it. You know, don't kill everything because of one little slip up. Just get right back on track and you'll keep moving forward. And that's what we have to do. I always tell my clients, you just got to keep pushing on. Just keep pushing on. Every, every day is not going to be perfect. Every workout's not going to be perfect. But as long as you stick with it, you're going to get there. Yes, I saved my favorite for last, and that would be the training section. And we're going to talk about Metcon training, and that's actually short for metabolic conditioning. And sometimes we also refer to it as sprints or high-intensity training, or I mean some CrossFit stuff is like this too. But basically it is, well, training everything together. So you have your weights, you have use of supersets, you've got some sprints, um, you've got some high reps, some low reps, some plyometrics, a little bit of everything. And with the plyometrics, you don't have to jump all the way off the ground. Um, in some of the videos that we've done in the past, I've showed you that you can go up just onto, onto your toes just by lifting your heels. It's just kind of the rapid movement that's kind of like a quick squat that you're doing. Um, and I'll give some examples in workouts in the video podcast coming up. So basically what you're going to do with your Metcon training is you're going to just think of something that's really aggressive, balls to the wall training, I mean sweating and all that kind of good stuff. So even though I normally tell you you don't have to kill yourself to get in shape, you don't. But if you want to shake it up and you want to do something different, then this is a fun way to get a really good workout in a short period of time. And Obviously, when we're talking about something that is intense, it's relative. It's, it's whatever's intense to you. What's intense to me might not be to you and vice versa. So it's all about challenging yourself. And it doesn't have to be all out. It could be medium. A medium challenge is just going to be just as more challenging to you than an all out one, because you know what, if you're used to going at one certain level or one certain pace, plus or minus, then yeah, going, say, plus five is going to be a big difference. So the other thing when we're doing supersets, as you remember, there's no break in between. Okay, very, very little, maybe about 10, 15 seconds if you're really pushing hard and you have to catch your breath a little bit. So you're going to combine with the Metcon training, strength training exercises and some anaerobic drills. Anaerobic meaning things such as um, explosive movements, your plyometrics, your sprints, whether it's on a bike or fast walking or even a rowing machine if you have it. Um, some people will also use jump rope for that portion um, or even doing like high knee jogs. There's a lot of different things you can do as long as you're you know, moving as well as you can with the proper form and as fast as you can with proper form. That's what always leads to the results. Okay. Your workouts are usually timed. It's not necessarily the Tabata type training or anything like that, but it's usually um, timed in the sense that your intervals are going to be one minute of a regular pace and maybe one minute or 30 seconds of a higher intensity pace. So, you know, if you're new to this type of training, you'd start out with less. You'd say, okay, one minute regular, 30 seconds as hard as you can. And that's not, not just like, let's say we're doing the bike as an example. If you do one minute at level two for, uh, let's say 80 RPMs, then when you're going to do your sprint, 
your 30 seconds is going to be more like level six for about 90 RPMs. So yeah, you're pushing faster at a higher level because you're not maintaining that pace for that long. So always think in terms of all the parameters that can be increased. Just like if you're doing a walking sprint, you can increase the speed, but also increase the incline. So increase as many factors as you can to a point that is reasonable, but pushes you. And you know how it works. If you can't make it to the end of the 30 seconds at that pace, then it's not the right pace for that particular workout. So back it off. Now, there's an infinite number of ways to do the cardio type of intervals. So anywhere from, like I said, one minute of regular to 30 second sprint, um, 30 second sprint, I mean, 30 second regular and a 10 second sprint. There's so many different ways you can work that. So you just have to start one way and play around with them each time you do them. Now, one thing I want you to know is the Metcon training is not intervals alone. It's actually combining them. So for example, one of the ones we're using right now is doing um, intervals on the bike. We're doing one minute regular, one minute high intensity, and then immediately going to squats, just plain old body weight squats, but doing 25 to 30 of them. And again, proper form, nice steady pace. It's not a race here. It's about doing things well. And then after that, we go immediately into vertical jumps. And that's one of the things we've done on some of the quick fit workouts where you either jump or you go up on your heel, uh, I keep saying heels, or you go up onto your toes. So you're lifting your heels um, and you're always throwing your arms overhead because that's going to give you a little bit of momentum. And so even if you're not jumping, you're still getting more activity out of it. So that would be one set. You'd rest maybe about 30 seconds, or you could use that one minute regular time on the bike as your rest period. And then you repeat it. Now, the great thing is that these things are intense, so you don't have to repeat too many. All you have to do is maybe three at the most. And you don't need to do them every single day. So twice a week is about all you would need. Maybe three times at the max because you're basically really spiking up your metabolism with these. So it's a great way to reach through a plateau if you have one. Um, or just if you know you're coming into the holidays or you're going to go traveling or whatever and you don't have as much time to do a workout, that's another great way to just kind of boost your metabolism, get a good workout in. Um, you'll feel really good. It's definitely not something you're going to want to do all the time, but it is a nice break from your regular type of training. So you don't need to also, you don't need to do them at the end of a training. They're their own training by themselves. So don't say, oh, I'm going to do my whole workout and then do some of the Metcons for like three sets. No, definitely do it on a separate day. And believe me, it would replace your cardio. It, if you do them, and I'll write down some notes on the uh, fitgirlguide.blogspot.com so that you can kind of get an idea or maybe try one that I'll set up for you, you'll realize this is very cardiovascular. I mean, you're puffing, huffing, your heart rate's high, but you have to make sure, again, what's appropriate for you. So your pace is one thing. You can always increase it later. That's kind of the goal is that you start with one set, or I'm sorry, one set of parameters as far as speed. And that's really the thing that you're judging. What you're doing on that particular cardio equipment, or we'll say for the cardio interval, that's the one that's gonna have the most parameters. Everything else, you know, your body weight squats, it's just making sure you do them. You know, your jumps or anything else that's plyometric, again, 
just making sure you're, you're doing them. And again, there's infinite ways to mix this up. And I'm seeing right now as I'm talking about this, I'm definitely going to have to do a video and give you a bunch of examples to follow. That way, you know, you could do a couple of different ones and see what you think. Now, how it actually works is it trains your body to work at a higher intensity um, faster. I mean, that's usually what intervals do, but now you're combining all of them. You're combining some strength, you're combining some power, and you're combining some cardio, and at a, all at a high intensity because you're not having any rest in between. So basically, you're increasing the efficiency of your, your storage and energy delivery of energy. So the methods behind this actual protocol involve pushing your heart and body to the max before allowing a brief period of recovery and then repeating. So again, max doesn't mean drop dead. It means push yourself a little more than a relaxed state. So if you normally do like a steady pace on a elliptical, then your max might be going a higher level a little bit faster. And again, if you record these things, you'll know what to do the next time to push yourself. So the more you do this, the more efficient your whole body becomes at being able to deliver oxygen and pump blood and, and basically meet all the demands of exercise, but with less work. So your body adapts to the exercise easier, faster, quicker, basically everything that we want in a workout. So getting your results, changing your body faster, because if your body works better, your metabolism is going to respond better and everything else is going to fall right into place. So I see right now I've probably given you a couple of reasons to go check out the fitgirlguide.blogspot.com site. So not only can you do this uh, little poll that's on the right-hand side for me, but you can also get the notes on how to think yourself slim and how to use these eight steps in the motivation section to get yourself on track and see success. And also the Metcon training, a couple of different examples of how to do it and what kind of parameters you want to be looking for. So if that makes no sense at all, and sometimes I realize I don't make any sense at all, then send me an email or a reply to this blog or post. <laughs> I'm really not making any sense at this point. If you're still listening, bear with me. I'm almost done. Um, and just, you know, get in contact, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and let me know what got you confused. Because uh, I'm completely confused my, now myself. But anyways, I'm trying to get back on track as usual. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast and uh, let me know what your questions are so I can answer them as well. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to giving you all the insights to help you reach all of your goals and to help you get your best body ever. If you'd like additional information on these topics and more articles on health, nutrition, and motivation, visit fitnessmakeover.com, allinoneworkout.com, or coachkira.com.